I remember people saying to me when I was going through this, oh, you're so courageous. Oh, you're such an inspiration. And I'm like, really? I just thought I was a guy with a brain tumor and I was a victim. I think that I showed parts of God to other people because of his great love for me. But I still remember thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, the expression, well, it's not brain surgery. Uh, Yeah, it is. (laughs) This is Made for Love a Catholic podcast about real people living out the call to love. I'm your host, Sarah Perla. In this episode, I'm using the format that I wish I could do all the time, which is telling one story more fully. Like I did in the caregiving episode, it means sticking with one person, Frank. Okay, my name is Frank Bowen, and I'm married to Jennifer Bowen, and we live in Columbus, Ohio. We have five children. Frank listened to one of my podcasts and reached out, mentioning that he had a story to tell if I was interested. The answer to that, my friends, is always yes. So I became very transparent. It was before I was kind of guarded. I had my business face at my home face. Spiritually, this was the best thing. It humbled me. In general, it was a total life change. Before we get into the, well, terrible things that happen in Frank's life, we're going to start with something happy. How he met his wife, Jennifer. Frank and I attended the same high school. I was one grade behind him, so my twin sister and I were friends with Peggy. Peggy was Frank's sister. And we hung out at the Fulham home on occasion, and I thought her brother was very cute and very funny. Um, He was the spokesperson for his class, and so, you know, I got to admire him from afar, but he was seeing someone else. Frank didn't notice Jennifer when they were teenagers. Story of our lives, ladies. But later, when he was in law school and looking for a date, his sister Peggy came through for her friend and set them up. It actually didn't start out so great. He wanted someone who was more of a homebody, good with all the household stuff, and I was not much of a cook or, and you know, I had no, no real plans for that. I think that allowed us to start off as, as friends. But they just kept seeing each other. They enjoyed each other's company and developed a really strong friendship. And then they were like, actually, why not? Actually, he says our marriage started on the rocks because he proposed on one of his big boulders, you know, in the surf off the shore of Maine. So life was good, y'all. The Fullins had five children. They were active in their church and community. Frank owned his own business, insuring titles. Jennifer was a stay-at-home mom and they sought NFP from their nice, comfortable house. That was all about to change. Frank had excruciating pain in his jaw. And when someone has pain in their mouth, first thing they do is go to the dentist. So the dentist said, oh, you know, I think you need an extraction. I think you've got something going on there, and, and we'll take care of it, and you'll feel better immediately. And uh, in fact, he did. Uh, have a root canal, and the pain did not get better. I still don't know to this day whether that root canal needed to be done or not, but it certainly was not for the pain that was happening then. It continued. It felt like a ice pick was jabbed into my jaw, and then someone turned on the electricity, and it would have about a 5 to 10 second kind of an electric bolt charge, and then it would stop. And about every 20 seconds, I'd get another bout of that. 
And it would go for a series of, you know, maybe a half a dozen times, and then it would stop. And then it would come on again later in the day. I didn't know what the heck it was, but it was so excruciating. I literally would drop to the ground and just start rolling around. Okay, no big deal. It's probably just TMJ. Oh, it's not? Finally, he went to a neurologist and had a scan, and that's when we found out about that growth at the base of his brainstem. It was encircling the nerve that travels up to his jaw, and um, that was what was causing that pain. What I had was called trigeminal neuralgia. The trigeminal nerve is the largest primary nerve in your face. And what was happening was apparently I had a brain tumor that was non-cancerous ultimately when they tested it. That tumor was pushing on the nerve in my face. Okay, so it's not cancer. Things could be worse. First, they tried to manage the pain with medication. I was taking upwards of 25 pain pills a day. Pretty much a zombie. Didn't really function. The other option was surgery. Since Frank was... You know, relatively young, he was like, I'm not going to stay on these drugs all my life. So we opted for surgery. Okay, surgery it is. Brain surgery. We were both like, wow, what is this going to mean for us? I, personally, I was afraid it would change him. I mean, the surgery in the brain, would that change his personality? What effect would this have? Not just like recovering, but would it change him? And it was a lot of unknowns. And of course, before surgery, you get you get all the here's what could happen. These are all the bad things that could happen. And there was a long list of them, including death. They went to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, because Frank's sister and brother-in-law lived there. The surgery was long. Frank thought eight or ten hours. They weren't able to remove all of the growth, and instead they had to pad the nerve. And some of those things that could go wrong did. The big downside of the surgery was that I was rendered deaf in one ear completely. I have a constant ringing in my left ear. I had felt palsy, which is a facial sagging because of nerve damage. So half my face was droopy. I know if you see people with this sometimes. Sometimes it's temporary. Mine would have been permanent. But they said they could do a second surgery the next day. It took a nerve out of my tongue. And then if they said it would repopulate, that side of my face would take about a year and reconnect all the tissue, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, but he still has some drooping there. And... Little things that were affected by this face droop were... <laughs> He'll never be able to whistle or, or smoke his pipe like he did. <laughs> but after those two surgeries, Frank was back at his sister and brother-in-law's house with instructions to call the doctors if anything unusual happened. And I started having like a, what felt like a runny nose. And I was like, well, I don't have a cold, and I don't have an allergy that I know of. I guess I'll call them. So I called the hospital, and they told me to get in there as quickly as possible. Once I arrived, I was told that was spinal fluid dripping out of my nose. So that third surgery was interesting. He took some belly fat from my belly and plugged my deaf ear. Like, literally put fat down it, took out the bones, plugged it like they were trying to keep my brain fluids contained. 
And here's another kind of goofy side effect from the surgeries. When I eat, my eye squints in water, especially if it's a spicy food. I have balance issues. I was already having a hard time hearing because my body was trying to adjust to only having one ear. The sounds bounced off the walls and the ceiling and it was difficult for me to sign. My brain had to relearn that. But after the third surgery, I really had to learn balance and walking. I couldn't drive. So we've run through all this stuff quickly here. But this is months of Frank and Jennifer's lives. And by the way, it was the holidays. Because, of course, it was. Even Thanksgiving dinner, I came home to be with the kids over Thanksgiving. And my mom made sure we had Thanksgiving dinner. Jennifer was traveling back and forth between Rochester and Columbus. That's an 11-hour drive. And there are still five kids at home. While I was gone with Frank, there were families from St. Paul School, where our kids attended, who made sure that our kids got to and for after-school events. They brought over dinners. My mom stayed at the house with the children for part of the time. My sister-in-law helped out part of the time. We had several different people rotating through our house, making sure that, you know, our kids were fed and taken care of. The Columbus community pulled together for the Fullens. You know the community is like that, but it was always other people taking care of other people, and maybe we were part of those who were helping out others. We prayed for others. We helped out financially if someone needed it. We donated. But to be at the receiving end, oh my gosh, that's when we saw what difference a community can make. The kids kind of had to grow up quickly. They were of varying ages from high school to grade school. And yes, they had to be more independent than previously because I was an at-home mom and so I kind of directed the household and now they had to kind of tell the adults who were there taking care of them. Now this is how routine goes and they helped each other out, took care of each other, think that they had to do some growing up maybe that wouldn't have happened if I'd been there running interference for them as, as I typically did. I think it was hard for them. Even though it's weird for them, where's mom and dad or where's dad, their lives were as normal as we could possibly make them. The Fullens learned what trusting God really means. You you have a choice. When you have a challenge, you can say, I'm going to turn to God, I'm going to turn away from God. And turning to God is always the best choice, because he is the creator of the universe. He knows all and he loves uh, unconditionally. So I think it's a no-brainer that I'm turning to God. It's way more than I can handle. And God will be faithful and help you handle it. Frank and I felt very lifted up during that time. We did things that we couldn't have anticipated being able to do. And I think that was other people's prayers. It was beyond ourselves. It was supernatural. He did things I didn't think he could do especially the humble ones. He was just so meek and thankful in a way I had never seen him. And I was stronger than I thought I could be, both taking care of him and praying and accepting help from others. 
Jennifer tried her best to prepare the kids to see their dad. I was almost not recognizable. Some people that hadn't seen me in three months and all this change that occurred. So I was worried about that for my kids. And my wife took a picture of me before I came home when she was at one of her trips with the kids. And said, this is what your father's going to look like when he comes home. But he's good and we're, we're good. He's going to heal. So she tried to prepare him for everything. He came back a different man, physically. But it's the spiritual part that made me actually grateful for the whole experience. Because uh, for the first time, my strong, independent man was totally reliant on other people, not just me, on, on everybody. While half of her heart was in the hospital in Minnesota, Jennifer was keeping five kids fed, clothed, and going to school every day. My wife did a really good job of showing calmness and trust in God, answering their questions and alleviating their fears. Because when I came back, I didn't look like myself. I lost 100 pounds. Half my face was droopy. Now, so far, you're thinking, okay, we've got a dad with brain tumor. Yawn. Big deal. This was back in 2008, and I'm in the title insurance business, so we closed mortgage loans to make sure the title. 2008 was the mortgage crisis, the financial crisis. I was my own business owner. All of my clients were on a daily basis going out of business. And basically, from 2007 to 2008, there were virtually no mortgages being done. By the end of the whole thing, it was me and one other person because of the lack of volume. So I was losing money in my company, and I had this pretty healthy expense for medical expenses. That's right, people. It gets worse. Uh, I was losing my house in foreclosure, and I was not only embarrassed, shame to be in that position. As the real estate attorney, it was doubly hard. This was when foreclosure news was front-page news on all the papers. So I was no different. I was in there with a lot of other people that were losing their homes in that financial crisis. But I recall that I had hired a friend of mine, an attorney, and his wife was a realtor. And I said, why don't you see if you can get us a short sale and get us a sale for the house so we can pay off as much as possible of the debt and try to start over. The Fullins are losing their home. Frank's business folded after the valiant effort of one of his employees just wasn't enough. The Fullens had two mortgages and no money. Getting phone calls on a daily basis from people at the bank saying, I'm a deadbeat, and they, 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 you know, they, I need to pay them, and this and that. There was no way to pay the mortgage, so they tried for a short sale, but one of the lenders wouldn't agree. The second lien holder would have been paid 80% of what I owed them if they'd have taken my contract. But they thought that they could do better. So they said, well, we're not taking your contract. You're a lawyer, you're in your own company, you have all this worth or did. We think you're going to get it back. We want to be paid in full. So they didn't let me out. They didn't consent to get that contract. There was a pretrial hearing mandated by the court, and that second lender just didn't show up. The judge was angry and ruled that Frank no longer owed them anything, since they couldn't make the time for a mandatory hearing. God kept opening doors. I remember thinking, where are we going to live that we can afford? that our kids can stay in the same school. I had a big family. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to find enough bedrooms and bathrooms and this and that. 
and the first day we went out looking, I think we looked three houses. The third one was perfect. And God just, there's the house. The guy was trying to sell it and didn't sell it. So he's like, well, I guess I'll rent it. Super nice guy. We stayed there for three or four years, maybe even five. Frank is still totally weak. So moving is going to be fun. I couldn't afford a moving van. I had probably 25 people come to my house. When we moved, I didn't have to lift anything. And they moved my entire house, so my, me and my wife and my five kids to a rental house. It was very humbling for Frank and I both to be so reliant. It was, in a way, a most beautiful thing because it allowed us to see God working, taking care of us through our friends and family. Some people hardly knew us, but they still pitched in to help with a meal or stop by with baked goods, just something, a card to let us know they were praying for us. The Fullins basically had no money. And I don't mean what middle-class people usually mean by that, which is, gosh, I can't go to OTE this week. I mean they had no money. They had to pay, and I'm just making this number up as an example, $1,000 in rent with $800 in the bank. Remember my aunt telling me, she kept talking about the parable of the loaves and fishes. She's like, I don't know how you're doing it, but you're getting by on almost nothing. And I had family members and other people giving us money when they could or helping us any way they could. What I really learned from all this was that not only is God with you in these moments of crisis, that we're all called to be a community. And did I mention he even cashed out all of his retirement money? So did God come through? Of course he did. One day when my wife was home and I was still in the hospital, our pastor came and delivered an anonymous check for $10,000 from family, from friends and people in the parish that were trying to help. Yeah, that was so awkward for me. Frank wasn't there at the time. He asked to come by. I was like, that's fine. And he brought by an envelope. And I thought, oh, that was really nice, you know. And I remember carefully setting the envelope aside because I wanted Frank to be there. But I think, Father, it wasn't until after Father left and Frank returned that we opened the envelope and saw the amount of money that was inside. And we were flabbergasted. Of course, it was anonymous. We didn't even know who to thank. You're never going to know who gave this money, but if these are people in the parish and your neighbors that want to do this, here it is, and it was $10,000. It floored us. We were like, wow, that someone or, or maybe many others had contributed to help us out at a time when uh, we were really wondering how we were going to make it through. We really appreciated that extra help at that time. I mean, obviously, we were really relieved. To get $10,000 when you have nothing and five children? Yes. Good job, Columbus Catholics. Well played. And the Fulling kids were at Catholic schools. I had a pastor that insisted that my kids would stay in Catholic school, all three of them, whether I could pay the tuition or not for as long as they needed that. And the principal of our Catholic high school, I went to see him personally and said, I have to pull my kids out. I can't afford this. And he said, we're a family, and that's absolutely not going to happen. And so he did the same thing. Jennifer also got part-time work, just in case being a caretaker and mom of five wasn't enough. 
And so when she needed to work part-time, the bishop actually created a part-time position. And she was the first and so far only person to coordinate the natural family planning program in our diocese. So there you go, people. It turns out that you can live and thrive even without your health, without your work, without any money, and without your house. Uh, I learned that I didn't have to be the top guy. You know, I just needed to follow God's will. Not only can you live, but you can use that experience to help other people. A local nonprofit called the Stewardship Employment Ministry. And my best friend from fourth grade on, who was my best man and I was his and we're close, was going through a series of unemployment. And he felt that there wasn't enough being done, certainly by the Catholic community in our area, for people in the same plight. He went to our pastor and said, you know, I'd like to start something here as a volunteer ministry. Can I do that? And they said, of course, and help support him with that. Frank now helps his friend run this nonprofit that teaches job skills and offers training and job fairs for the unemployed. Over the last 12 years, we've helped under a thousand families get work and get back to work. And Frank shares his story, even with people outside of the Catholic or Christian community. The networking group, and we all take turns being the featured speaker. Typically, we talk about our company or whatever. And I said, you know what? Thanks, you guys did today. What really makes me sick and understand me. And I'm going to tell you the story. And even though I did hear a pin drop at the end that was well received, but that was so unlike what anybody had ever done in this meeting. But since that time, people have become so real with their own stories their own challenges, that this group has become one of the best, tightest groups of anything I've, I've gotten involved in. God wants us to be real with each other. He wants us to be a community, and we can only do that across with each other and share. Jennifer has this to say to people who are going through a similar trial. Be humble and let others help. Don't say, oh, thank you, I'll let you know. Um, kind of have a list of things that really could be helpful and say, yeah, I would appreciate a meal. My kid is in your kid's after-school activity. Could you give them a ride home? Those little things help out so much. Maybe you could do it all before, but now you're going to need that kind of help. So give them an opportunity to serve. It's a blessing to them as well to be able to be Christ's hands and feet. Don't be afraid to show your fears to others or your insecurities or um, to, to let people see the real you and maybe your household in, in disarray. So it's a little bit humbling, but don't be afraid to be humble. Don't be afraid that your prayers are inadequate. Just pray as you can at the time. Not only that, but... Be prepared to be blessed. Be ready to receive an outpouring of God's grace. That will see you through. Because all those things you can live without, I did not include God or community in that list. The greatest advice is prayer and knowing that you are part of a community, a larger community that's there to support you. 
that wants to support you, but prayer is the critical piece. Prayer is the way to get the grace and the strength. Basically, trust God, because God's faithful. Even though you know nothing about the future and you can't yourself see it, I don't see where this is going to go anywhere but that. It's just amazing how doors get opened, you know, things you never would have anticipated happen, even miraculous things. When things were darkest, Frank offered his pain to God. When I was going through this pain, and I was maybe at my knees at my bedside with this really rocking pain, it felt like I was in the garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. It felt like I was putting forth my pain for somebody else. And I've actually saved my favorite part of the full-in story for last. We talked on the hospitality episode about how God loves us so particularly and personally. Here's how he showed that to Frank at Christmas that year. I know God was missing me through all of this. We had a tradition. My wife would make homemade cinnamon rolls on Christmas morning. Kids loved them and I loved them. My wife was exhausted. I couldn't drive. She drove all the way from Minnesota home. I said, well, this is one Christmas we're not going to have cinnamon rolls. And within an hour, there was a knock at the door and a woman came with cinnamon rolls. I started crying in the lobby of my home. I said, you know, they say God knows the hairs on your head. God loves me all the way down to my cinnamon rolls. <laughs> Which would be known to nobody else. That's the prompting that somebody acted on that directly impacted me and my wife. She was like, what are you crying to get cinnamon rolls? I'm like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> it wasn't something else. It wasn't donuts. It wasn't pizza. It was cinnamon rolls. Nobody needed cinnamon rolls. I'm such a small thing. So there you go, people. God loves us down to cinnamon rolls. Quick shout out to those of you who wrote reviews after my last plea. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. If you like what you've heard today, please support this project by sharing it with your friends, subscribing to Made for Love on iTunes, writing a review, or commenting on the show notes at marriageuniqueforareason.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all those things. This is essentially a one-woman production, so yours truly did everything, except for the theme music, which is composed and produced by Michael Taylor. And then the new music is from First Come.